All right, let's, let's pray. I invite you to join me in prayer this morning. Lord, I'm grateful that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. So no matter what our week has been like, we come to you. Sometimes we, we come and we just feel as though we throw ourselves at your feet. And we just cry, help. Lord, if that's who we are today, I pray that you would, in your grace and in your goodness, I pray that you would just surround us with your arms of love and that you would carry us. Lord, if we come today and we are excited because this has been a a really good week, an exciting week, maybe something has happened, Lord, meet us in that too. Father, you are able by your spirit to meet each of us wherever we're at. So we come. I pray that you would teach us right now. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The joys of being a homeowner are that if something goes wrong, it is yours to fix, right? <laughs> That's how that works. You know, if, if you have a rental, if you are renting, if something goes wrong, you just pick up your phone and you call them and say, help, fix this. The water heater went out, fix it, you know. Whatever the problem is, you just tell them what to do. If you're the homeowner... You're the one who fixes it. It's your responsibility. I shared just a few months ago that Kelsey and I bought our very first home. In the fall of 2001, we were actually painting um, the interior on 9-11. That was a crazy day. That was a really weird day. We felt like we shouldn't even be painting. It was. We almost felt like we couldn't paint. Well, <clears throat> the, the area that we were painting was the skylight. The person before us, the homeowner before us, put a skylight in himself. And I figured that this guy, when he did something, I never met him. When he did something, he did it halfway. So it was put the skylight in, but never finished it. So my father-in-law, Kelsey's dad, came and helped us and spackle around the skylight. We painted everything. Um, either one or two seasons went by. I don't recall exactly what it was. It was either the spring following this, so the spring of 02 or the spring of 03. Kelsey and I went to Corvallis and we were attending a theater production for Saniam Christian School down at Adara Village. But their theater production was in Corvallis. And we were watching one of our students who was performing in that. I don't remember what the theater production was. I just recall that as we're sitting there, it started to rain real hard. And this seems like terrible acoustics because if it's a theater production in downtown Corvallis, you would think that you would want to have a roof top where you don't know it's raining really hard. But we knew it was raining really hard, like it was just raining hard. And I remember just looking up and thinking, wow, it's really raining hard. Okay, I didn't think anything of it until I got home. And we walked into our house. And around the skylight, near the edge of the skylight, there was a water bubble about this size. If you can see my hands, about this size. It had just dropped from the ceiling. And it was drip, 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 drip. I thought, oh, no, 
I'm the one who has to take care of it because I'm the homeowner. This is the yippee, the joy of being a homeowner. So um, I'm not like, I'm I'm not um, that great on fixing stuff. That's, I'm not Scott. I can't just do that kind of stuff. And I didn't know Scott back then, so I couldn't call him up and, hey, Scott, help me out. Okay, so I did what I could do. You know, I I slit a hole into the bubble and tried to drain it, to drain it out, you know, and then try to plaster it back up. And then um, I did what I do well. I paint over it. (laughs) I just painted over it. Because what happened is, is I, first off, I waited for like everything to kind of dry, but then there was a residue left behind and there was this ring, this brown ring on the ceiling. I thought, ah, that's, I don't like that. So I'll paint over it. So I paint over it with nice white paint, looked good, it matched the rest of the ceiling. I, I didn't just do that. I also went up on the, on the rooftop and I, I put a sealant around the, the skylight all around it, top and bottom, caked it on there. I'm like, no more leaks. I don't want any more leaks. That didn't happen. Okay, so like the next next year, fall and winter, I'm watching. Are we doing okay? No, oh, we're doing okay. It rains, it snowed maybe occasionally. I think we're doing okay. Spring would hit. Bam. Leak, leak, drip, drip. Ugh. Go back up there, put put more water sealant around it. This went on for, for a while. It was not until I went through, took the whole skylight out, reshingled the whole roof. It wasn't until then that I actually was able to fix the problem. See, I, I was going and painting over that area and also, you know, putting water sealant around, hoping that that would take care of it. But that, that just was not taking care of it. I even went in the attic and I was looking all over because, you know, like if you have a, dri- a, a leak over here on a roof, it might be actually entering over here. So I'm like looking with a flashlight, where is this coming from? And I saw it like dripping along and, you know, I did the best I could, but it wasn't until I actually fixed everything and until that skylight was taken out and until the whole roof was reshingled that we had no more problems. Once that was done, we, we were good. And then I painted over the ceiling one last time. <laughs> I'm going to come back to that illustration a bit here, in a bit. But I, I really want you to think about how it is human tendency to want to just kind of paint over something. But that doesn't fix it. You know, until we actually get to the root of the problem, we're going to continue to have that drip, drip, drip. And, and the roof is going to once again have a ring, a crazy, ugly ring around it. You know, you, you can't fix it by paint. You got to go deeper than that. We are continuing to work through the Beatitudes. These are teachings that Jesus gave to us which are upside down. So the way that you and I naturally think, Jesus offers us another way. You know, it's a sense, this is perhaps how you think, 
Flip your world upside down. Flip your thinking upside down. And, and the Beatitudes are the example, some of the examples of how Jesus is upsiding down our world. I want you to take your Bibles and, and look at Matthew chapter 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5, today we're looking at verses 1 through 8. And then there's one more passage I'm going to invite you to turn to in a bit, also in the book of Matthew. But for right now, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. It says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the pure in spirit For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones who will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are the ones who will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy, and now where we're at today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they are the ones who will see God. I'd like to ask you, and I'd like to hear your response, and if it's easier for the response to remove the mask, um, do so. Maybe that's motivation for you to speak of, right? So I just want to hear from you. When you hear the word pure, what comes to your mind? When you hear the word pure, what comes to your mind? Salvation. Salvation. Good. Thank you, Mike. Shelly? Perfection. Good. What else? Untainted. Thank you, Lori. Anything else come to your mind? Righteousness. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. I heard some... uh, Marley, what'd you say? Clean. Excellent. Yeah. Good. It's just this side of the room talking today. (laughs) That's okay. Does this this side of the room have have anything to add at all? If, If not, that's okay. When I, so when I think about pure, this isn't going spiritual right away. Um, I think of pure water. I think of that right away. My, my youngest brother and his wife really enjoy uh, the outdoors. They, they, love, they, ju- they just went last weekend to get away to the Detroit area, um, a little, little ways from Detroit, but just camping out, dry camping, total, total dry camping. Um, I talked with my sister-in-law a week ago, and she was saying that they have a filter, which they always take, and that's how they get their water. So they just go to the lake, pull the water out, filter it. You know, I, I think about water like that, where it's, it's been purified. It's been anything that would, all the contaminants are filtered out. They're taken out. Um, I also think of a certain 
um, drink that my wife gets whenever we go to Detroit Lake, uh, pure leaf tea, I think it is. I, I can just picture that. Like we, we like to go to the marina on Detroit Lake. We usually do that a couple times while we're up there. And we like to get, you know, treats, ice cream treats and stuff. And my wife is a bit healthier and she's like, I'll get the green leaf tea. Um, that's, that's her. Um, and, and it's, it's pure. It says pure right on it. Pure green leaf tea. I think that's what it is. Something like that. I, I think of, I think of that right away. Um, there was one more thing I wrote down that I thought of too. Oh, I know what it is. I think of pure maple syrup. Um, we, so our kids like the real syrup, you know, like, come on, give me the log cabin, like syrup. And then we, as a me and my wife who are older, we like the real syrup, like the real maple syrup. Like, don't just like butter that up with all sugar and stuff. Like we want the real syrup, you know? So a couple weeks ago, Kelsey and I were out at, uh, oh, grocery outlet. I always think of it as being canned food warehouse. A grocery outlet, and we're we're looking, and I found this real maple syrup, and it was a really good deal. And I was like proud of myself, and went to Kelsey, and I was like, "Hey, babe, look at this real maple syrup for six ninety nine. Because at Costco, it's like eleven ten ninety nine, I think, for the real maple syrup, which is what we buy. Okay, and that's just for the old people. Okay, that's what we get to have. And my kids don't don't like it anyways. But I was like, "This is a good deal," and she's like, "Well, Nathan, let's look at the back." Oh, they put a lot of sugar in there. They added to it. That's why it's cheap. <laughs> so, okay, pure. Pure, really, um, it has this idea of being um, not contaminated. Uh, Lori, I think that I, I heard you share something about that. Not being contaminated. Uh, it is being made uh, clean, cleansed from dirt, Cleansed from filth. This this is purity. This doesn't surprise us. This this makes sense to us. The Greek word um, here that Jesus is using is the word katharos. Katharos. Pure. Blessed are the pure, those who are not contaminated in their heart. They're the ones who are going to see God. This word, katharos, is used 17 times in the New Testament. Here's just a sprinkling of how it's used. So you might be familiar with this verse, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee. Flee from the youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Katharos. Katharos. Pure heart. We are, we are told to call on the Lord with a pure heart. How do we do that? Well, we flee from the youthful lusts. That makes us impure. So we're supposed to flee from the youthful lusts. And call on the Lord from a pure heart. Matthew 27, verse 59. This is just after the crucifixion of Jesus. Joseph, 
as in Joseph of Arimathea came, rich man, and takes the body of Jesus, and he, he, he gives Jesus his own tomb. And it, we are told in Matthew 27, chapter 27, verse 59, that Joseph took the body and wrapped Jesus in a clean linen cloth. What's the word? Catharos. That cloth was pure. It was clean. Same word here. How about John chapter 13? This is an incident where I believe that you know this. Jesus, around a meal, comes and serves the disciples by washing their feet. And the Bible tells us that Jesus went around and washed the disciples' feet. And when Jesus got to Peter, what was his response? No, Lord, never. You don't wash my feet. This is not how this works. No. But how did Jesus respond? Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. So in Peter hearing that, how does Peter respond? Well, if that's the case, Lord, then wash me all. Like, just, like, give me, like, dunk me. Wash all of me, not just my feet, but like I really want to part with you. So like just wash all of me. And what does Jesus say? Hang on, Peter. You only need to be cleaned once. Once you've been cleaned once, you need this spot cleaning. Like you need to have your feet washed, but you don't need to have the whole thing over again. Jesus was talking about so much more here than foot washing. Like he's going way deeper than that. I think that Jesus is definitely going spiritual here. And I'm reading in between the lines, but I read in between the lines through the lens of scripture here. Peter, when you place your faith in me, you are cleansed. You are clean. You are pure. But you need this foot washing. You need this spot washing because you get dirty. It's not that your whole body needs to be clean, but your feet need to be cleaned again and again and again. See, I place my faith in Jesus, and I trust that you have too. But I still need to go to him again and again and again, not to clean all of me, not that it's like, Lord Jesus, come back into my life, but it's, I messed up. I sinned. I'm convicted. I said something. I thought something. I did something. And Jesus, I believe, says, you need the spot cleansing. You need that. That word clean there is the same word for pure, katharos. There's one more passage, and I want you to turn there with me. I invite you to turn Matthew as well, Matthew chapter 23. 
We're going to look at verses 23 through 26. Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 26. These are what are called the seven woes. Um, These are seven woes that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. And they're called the seven woes because he's saying, woe to you. (laughs) Because he's saying, woe to you. These have become known as the seven woes. Okay, so this is one of those woes here. So look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 23. Here we go. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Uh, Jesus' language was pretty strong here. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Here we go. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That is what you neglected. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Whoo! You strain a gnat and yet you swallow a camel. Verse 25, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, And then the outside will also be clean. Those are quite the words there, aren't they? Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, you are only concerned about the outward appearance. You are concerned about how the dish looks. You walk a certain way, you hold yourself a certain way, you follow certain rules and regulations, which make you feel as though the outside is looking pretty good. This is a show. I'm concerned about what's on the inside because when I look at the inside of the cup, it's ugly. It's ugly, it's rotten. Shame on you. Now, Jesus is saying, he's, he's not saying, don't worry about giving a tenth. He doesn't say that. He actually says, I want you to concern yourself mostly with what's most important. Mercy, justice, faithfulness. You concern yourself with that. Because when you concern yourself with that, the other is going to follow suit. It will take care of itself. But you are concerned about giving, and it's, it's being done in a way that makes you look good. But your heart is wrong. Your, your heart has become, I am adding to what Jesus said here, I understand this, but your heart has become legalistic. Again, you are so concerned about the outside. This this can really hit us 
if we allow it to. I mean, each of us are different, but I think by nature, I just care how I look. Now, if, if that's not you, the Lord bless you for that. But like, that's just something about me. And here's the truth for people like Nate. I got to be really careful. That I don't just end up polishing the outside of the cup and neglect what really matters. We got to be so careful here. Jesus says, I am after the inside of the cup. I care about the inside of the cup. I'm curious. If your life is a cup, what does the inside look like? And how much attention are you giving to what is on the inside? Is your heart pure? Is it clean? Remember last week, if you were with us last week, I said that Beatitudes 1 and 5 correlate. So that is Beatitude number 1. When we understand that morally we have nothing to offer to God, then we are positioned well to respond with mercy. See, these correlate here. Beatitudes number 2 and 6 also correlate. When we mourn for our sin, that is, we don't excuse it. When we actually mourn for our sin, we become pure in heart. Want to be pure in heart? Mourn for your sin. Own up to your sin. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't get yourself playing this comparative game of, well, if you only knew so-and-so, you would understand that I'm actually doing pretty good. Don't, don't play that game. I wonder when God looks at the evangelical church in America today, I wonder what he sees. Does he see us pursuing purity? Does God see the church pursuing purity? I'm not God. I don't see the church, by and large, pursuing purity. I, I tend to actually see the church excusing impurity. Well, it's our culture. It's how we are. We make excuses for ourselves. Those who are pure are the ones who see God. Kent Hughes is 
one of my favorite uh, contemporary theologians. And he shared a story, a true story, about a lady by the name of Anna May, who was born blind, could not see from birth. Um, 62 years of her life blind. All she knew about life was what she could feel and what she could hear. That's how she figured out life. When this lady, um, Anna Marie, or Anna May, was turned uh, 47 years old, she met a gentleman in Braille class. And they got married. Now, the gentleman that she married, I don't think I know his name, he was able to see. He had vision. And for the very first 15 years of their life, he was her eyes. So he would help her and, you know, anime here, you know, uh, around this way, anime over here, you know, here, come meet anime. Okay. He was her eyes until he went blind himself. After 15 years of being married, he actually went blind himself. Um, He lost complete vision due to what is called retinous pigmentosa. Don't know if you know that, what that is or not, but that's, that's what caused him to lose all of his vision. In 1981, a doctor by the name of Dr. Thomas Pettit from the University of California performed a surgery on Anna May. It was a surgery that allowed her to see. He was able to remove the rare congenital uh, cataracts from the lens of her left eye. And for the very first time ever, Anna May was able to see. Now, I cannot even imagine this. I mean, because I've only been able to see. And I know that I use my eyes all the time to see. And to understand and interpret the world. So I can only imagine what it's like to have spent 62 years of your life only understanding the world because of what you have touched and because of what you have heard. And then all of a sudden, for the very first time, to be able to look outside and actually see the sunset or actually see the beauty of creation or actually see the person that you married. It's interesting that because she says that the very first time that she saw her husband without him actually saying or speaking, she said, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. There were other people that she saw, loved ones that she saw, and friends that she saw, and she said, quite honestly, you are smaller than I thought you were, or you are larger than I thought you were. You don't look anything like I imagined you to look. And, and when she saw the sunset, she was like, this is amazing. I've had people explain this to me, but now to see this, ah, oh, I cannot believe it. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see God. 
They're going to see God. Who sees God? The pure in heart see God. When Jesus said this, again, I am reading in between the lines here, but I'm doing this through the lens of other scripture passages. When Jesus says that the pure in heart are the ones who will see God, I believe he means both now and later. So there is obviously the later, the pure in heart. They're going to have the kingdom and so they will see God. They will see God face to face one day. Yesterday morning, Ralph left this earth. But I believe that in leaving this earth, he is in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And he is now seeing Jesus because I believe he is face to face. He is experiencing something that we have not yet experienced. And so I believe there is, there is that part for sure. But I also believe that this goes a little bit deeper, that, that we can see God now. I don't mean physically. No one has seen God. We can't see him. And yet we can see him. Remember Job in the Old Testament? A whole book written about him who had everything and then lost everything. The most tragic story we can imagine. Having all of his children, they're gone. Having all of his possessions and his property just gone. And then to have have um, sores all over his body. And scripture says he took the clay pots and had to scrape himself. Ugh! And, and just sitting in ash. And his wife saying, Job, forget it, man. Curse God and die. This is ridiculous, Job. Stop following God. And then remember the friends that came, the three friends that came and sat with him. And I know that we, we, we kind of speak pretty negatively about them. And rightly so. But I also credit them because for like a week or so, they just sat in silence with him. I think that's a picture of good friendship. But then eventually the friends, okay, Job, there must be something going on in your life. Come on. You know, have, like, have you sinned? Like, just own up to it. And Job, if you read the book, had conversations with God. And at the close of the book, here's where I'm going. At the close of the book. Job says these words. Before all of this happened, I had heard about God. And now my eyes have seen him. Everything that I have gone through has caused me to see God. I see him. 
I believe in a similar way we can see God. Maybe sometimes the ways that we see God are through, Nikki, I thank you for what you shared this this morning. And I know that you're going through some tough stuff right now. Um, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the authenticity of that. And it doesn't make it easier. Sometimes when we are bombarded with difficulty, those are the times that we begin to see God in a new way. Maybe that's what causes us to see God. And maybe like Job, we are the ones who say, I've heard all about you, God. I have heard it in Sunday school. I've heard, it in v- I've heard about him in VBS. I hear about him from the preaching of Nate or from a televangelist or whoever it is. I've heard about God. And yet in these moments, we can say, God, I haven't only heard about you. I have seen you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see God. I want to be careful with this last piece I'm going to say here in relation to this beatitude. So I preface it by saying Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. This is a gift of God so that we don't boast. Okay? I'm prefacing this. So I can be as pure in heart as I can just make myself and miss the truth of the gospel. I think this is what the Pharisees did. They cleaned the outside of the cup. They tried to make themselves pure on the outside and it got them nowhere. Jesus is saying, clean the inside. But here's where I'm going with this. I have heard people say numerous times over and over again over my time in ministry, I haven't seen God. They don't intend for God to just show up in the flesh and say, hey, I'm God. That's not what they're after. What they are saying in, this, in that is saying, I have not seen God show up in my life like I want him to show up. It seems as though God is distant. He, he just keeps to himself. I don't see the evidence of God in my life. I want to be careful here again. But I want to hear the words of Jesus. And I want to suggest this. If you find yourself ever in a position where you would say, God, where are you? Why are you not showing up in my life? Why is it that you seem distant? Then I ask you this. Are you pure in heart? Because if we're if we are not pure in heart, and I don't believe that we're going to see God. You see, we can be clean on the outside and miss God. 
We, we can put ourselves and act as though everything is okay and, and do the best we can to make this body, this tent, look good and presentable and act in a way that makes people say, that's a good man, that's a good woman. And yet we can miss God because it is not those who have it together on the outside. It is those who have cleaned the inside. They're the ones who are going to see God. If you feel as though God is absent or for, far off. I, I don't know if this is it, but I at least ask you, are you pure in heart? There is there is purity that happens the moment we get saved. And I believe it is what Jesus was referring to when he came to Peter and said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If you have, then you are positionally pure. You are declared righteous. But just like Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Man, let me wash your feet. You need that spot washing. I I placed my faith in Jesus. I was four and a half years old. Just a little kid. And I believe that God saved me at that moment. But my life is a continual life of striving for purity. And I believe that the more I strive for purity, the more I begin to see God. I believe that is the truth that Jesus is communicating in this beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart. They are the ones that are going to see God. They see God. Do you see God? Are you able to see God? If, if you are having a hard time seeing God right now, then during this last song, I invite you to just communicate with the Lord. Lord, make me clean. I, I, I'm not suggesting if you've placed your faith in Jesus, I don't think it's that you have to invite him in all over again. But man, we have to come clean to him over and over again, don't we? We confess and we know the truth of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins and he is faithful and just and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Know that truth. Experience that truth and come to him. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones who see God. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us through this beatitude. Lord, I, I pray that right now, and I know our time is, is up, I just pray that you are speaking by your spirit. I can't speak. Um, I can allow my voice to be used, but it must be your spirit who convicts. And so I just pray that during this song that we are honest with ourselves about our own purity. And if there is impurity, impurity in our life, and I pray that we will confess it 
and know that as we confess it, you forgive us. And in that, I believe that we begin to see you in a whole new way. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand or to bow or whatever uh, position um, is meaningful to you as we sing this song together. <laughs>